0: You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. Today's guest is Martin Geier, the VP of Mea Sales
1: at Miro. We need to think about A sales calories again. And then secondly, what what kind of experience do you create with a person being called if you're not relevant? I think relevance is is a key currency in, in our economy today. Hey there, and welcome to another episode
0: of the Sassiest Podcast. We hope you are well, that you're energized, and uh, thank you for being with us yet another episode here. So how are you, Daniel? I
2: am very well and very energized. You know, it's been a couple of weeks into the new year, and it feels like... The break was long, long, long time ago. Like you know, These two weeks have already been like lots of action, lots of fun stuff, so I'm feeling good. How about you, Thomas?
0: Yeah, me as well. Uh, and uh, looking forward to a lot of the things that's going to happen here throughout the year. Uh, but first, we actually have um, an event coming up in just two days. Yeah. So
2: uh, we have the CEO kickoff here, in, like you said, in a couple of days where we bring forward uh, and together the entire CEO community, the Sassia CEO community. So again, as a friendly reminder... CEOs with two million euros in ARR, they come together to learn from each other, to spar with each other and just support each other to grow each other's business. And, and we have this kickoff now for a full day exercise where we have a couple of external speakers, but also a lot of workshop sessions where we discuss and debate a few different things. And this time on the agenda, we open up with, uh, obviously there's a pricing session. How can you have a CEO meet up without the pricing discussion? We have uh, a couple of sessions on what we call the CEO triangle, so the three levers you have as a CEO to steer your company in any given direction. So there's only three levers, and we're going to discuss about those. And then, of course, it's 2024. We're going to have quite a few debate discussions about AI, not from a product perspective, what it does to your product, but As an organization, how do you become AI ready and can handle the transition that's going to take place in the workforce now? So that and many other things we're going to dig into in a couple of days. So I'm excited, Thomas.
0: Yeah. And uh, the network has more than 100 CEOs in the range between 2 million euro and 100 million euro in ARR. So it's a fantastic bunch. I would say it's the strongest B2B SaaS CEO network in Europe and it's a privilege to, uh, to work with, uh, with these great companies. But, uh, something that is also uh, often on the agenda is PLG, and there are some companies that many look up to when they talk about PLG. We have Slack, we have Dropbox, we have other, but we have one in the quite near vicinity. We just need to go over the, the sea here, down to our friends in the Netherlands, And I guess you can know who I'm talking about, it's Miro, and today we will talk about how you can combine PLG with the sales motion. Today, we are super happy to be joined by Martin Geier, the VP EMEA sales at Miro. So welcome, Martin, to the Sassiest Podcast. Thanks, Thomas. Glad, glad to be here.
2: It's awesome to have you here, Martin. So where are you dialing in from today?
1: I am dialing in from rainy Munich today. Rainy Munich. Which is my home, running the business from here.
2: Yeah. Do you guys have a big operation there in Munich?
1: Uh, we have a decent office um, next to other outlets in EMEA. All right, all right. So, to start with, what can you tell us about yourself? Well, look, frighteningly enough, I've been in this industry now for thirty years. Wow! Um, <laughs> just just recently, and I've seen a few things coming and going. I would say, started with hardware, then yeah. um, jumped on software while software was still shipped with CDs and installed in data centers, and then um, I would say with the advent of uh, of the likes of Salesforce, who were pioneers. Uh, we saw the shift to SaaS and cloud. I was helping Amazon land their cloud business um, early days uh, here in Germany. And then um, sooner or later, Miro knocked at my door and here we are. All right. Awesome. And what do you do when you're not working? You know, my wife and I, we are super passionate about the outdoors. Okay, um, we, we, we love to go to the mountains. Mountains are quite close to here. Um All the things like mountain biking, road biking, skiing, all the all the beautiful outdoors. That's uh, what I'm very passionate about.
2: Lovely, lovely. So speaking about passion, we also know that you're passionate about sales and revenue. And these days, you represent a fantastic company called uh, Miro. Tell us about Miro. If there's somebody here in the audience that doesn't know Miro, like who are you? What do you guys do? And for what reason do you exist?
1: So if you think of Miro, think of a Innovation workplace, where people around the globe, be it in same or different time zones, can come to the, together, and innovate better and faster. Um, that's what Mir is all about, um, and uh, you know that's uh, what we are passionate about: to help our customers build their products faster and build their products with higher quality and come to market earlier.
2: Yeah, and for whom is this? Like, who is the ideal customer for you guys?
1: No, Daniel, Miro is a a horizontal product. It's not made for a specific um, industry. So if I look at our customer base, these are customers across all types of industries. And we see also customers of very, very different sizes. So we have customers who use Miro for tens of thousands of users and have standardized across the entire company on Miro for what they do, right? But then we also have our commercial business, where we have sometimes teams of ten or teams of um, twenty or thirty work together on Miro. Hmm.
2: Right. right. So when you say innovation, though, because in your in your pitch here, you talked about you know you help people and companies come together to accelerate innovation. My mind tec- technically directly went to like technical innovation, but I. I think it's probably all kinds of innovation. It could be marketing folks sitting in this platform working together, right?
1: True. So when we think of innovation, that can be obviously technical innovation, but it's also business innovation. It's also service innovation. So anything you want to do differently in the future, as a company, to please your customers more, mm. that's where really Miro comes into the mix.
0: Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I've also used uh, the the tool a little bit, but a lot for you know uh, brainstorming, um, building processes, uh, and sort of visualizing um, a business uh, and so on. And uh, yeah, it, it's a great tool. Really easy to use, and as you said, built for distributed teams. Uh, I know you've been around. Um, from 2011, but you must have had a tremendous growth during COVID and, and the whole remote work thing, right? Yeah,
1: Thomas, let me just pick up on your first mention. So, definitely, this is how it starts. Like, people start using it for workshopping, for brainstorming, for ideation. Mm. But normally, they don't stop there, they go way deeper, right? They integrate Miro with other parts of their digital stack, like Jira, for example, right? Where mm. we have um, bi directional interfaces so mirror usually gets deeply ingrained in the existing digital stack and that's actually where what a, the what a value then is much higher if you just stay on I would say rather superficial use cases the ones that that you've described yeah but coming coming back to your second part of the question hell yeah I mean when I joined it was uh, 20 early 2021 like January I mean all of my interviews like, Job interviews were remote. Um, I, I didn't see any mirror near probably for three months in. Okay. And then for the first time, physically met somebody from mirror. That was a <laughs> bit of a weird experience. But obviously, I mean, this was driving business at us. So I would say if I recall these early days here, it was building a team as quickly as possible to just satisfy the demand. That's how it started.
0: Mirror, near, I I love it. <laughs> One of the better ones. <laughs> All right,
2: All right. Let's let's put some 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 uh, numbers here to the business, just so folks know what type of operation you guys are running. What can you tell us, Martin, about you know ARR, the size of the business, customers, you know, the, your geographical reach? Give us what you have.
1: Yeah, let's let's maybe start with how the team grew. Uh, when I joined, we were a couple of hundred globally. Uh, Today, we are closer to the 2000 mark, and that's just in uh, two and a half years. So the whole operations and organization grew very, very very quickly and rapidly.
0: And is that organic growth or is there any acquisitions? That's
1: mainly organic growth. There were some acquisitions, but the magnitude was uh, actually done by recruiting and hiring. So that's, uh, that's how it started. And it was anchored around not only building a better product, so obviously, as a technology company, you want to have a decent amount of your people in engineering and product. But a main driver for growth was also the go-to-market team, that part of uh, which I am leading. And um, this is uh, going back to a strategic shift to add a human touch or sales-led motion to the existing product-led motion that uh, that brought Miro to a certain size uh, two or three years ago
2: yeah fantastic growth and what can you tell us about revenue or ARR like can, can you give us some ballpark numbers where, where you guys are at and how fast you're growing
1: yeah you know as a privately held company this is something we don't kind of advertise um, publicly but think of miro uh, as a company that has uh, three digit ARR globally in in millions yeah and uh, over the last three years um, that the business More than 10X, I can I can say that. So um that is that is what we have seen. And then part of it was obviously optimizing our self-service motion from PLG perspective, but then added to that was a human touch motion.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming now, we should never assume in the podcast here, but I'm still (laughs) gonna make an assumption here today. You have business basically all over the world, or let me rephrase the question. Which ones are your core
1: geographical regions? Yeah, so we have 11 offices globally. Some of them are here in EMEA. We are uh, headquartered out of Amsterdam, where also some of my centralized functions reside, like sales development and uh, commercial sales. Uh, and then we strive hard to get as close with meaningful teams to our customers geographically as we can. Yeah. For, for Europe, this means we have next to Munich, London, and Paris as offices. And each of those offices, we have, I would call it minimum viable go to market team. So we have all the functions we need there, like sales, um, we have uh, solution engineers there, we have marketing there. Um, so so all kinds of functions that uh, obviously customer success, all kinds of functions that customers love to have as close to them as possible and in the in the local language. Mm-hmm. Then if you think globally, we are in the US, both uh, on the East Coast, um, in the South, and on the West Coast. Uh, These are major hubs in the Americas. And then we are in Tokyo, serving Japan, and we serve Asia-Pacific from from Sydney. Um, Then we have, obviously, a few um, engineering um, hubs. One is in Berlin, uh, one is in Yerevan, and that's how we are distributed globally. In fact, we are, if you look at us, we are a global company. If I just look at our leadership team or extended leadership team, you have probably like 40 nationalities there in the wow, extended that's cool. leadership team. Yeah, that's, that's very invigorating, I, I yeah. can say.
0: Yeah. And I think Miro is one of the poster childs of uh, being successful with the PLG motion and the self-service motion. But we're not going to go into details on how you did that. We're going to look a little bit further on and how you also now have transitioned from the PLG focused approach to, to also incorporating a sales motion, and you are very much involved with that. So, what were the primary drivers behind that?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, if you look at the tool like Miro, um, this is something you can very easily, probably as a as a small team, use without human interaction with a SaaS vendor. Um, but once you get Broader in a, in a company, you have a few obstacles that you need to maneuver around. You know, um, when, when we talk to our customers and understand what they do on Miro and Miro boards, you pretty quickly understand there's confidential data on those boards. Um, they need to be kept secure. Um, you get all kinds of compliance questions. Is it compliant with, um, the company standards, is it compliant with um, data regulation standards, what you do on Miro and with Miro? And those are things that are really hard to overcome as a customer in a self-service mode, right? Yeah. And that was kind of the relevation where we said, probably we need, we need people uh, talking to customers and interacting with customers and really understanding deeply uh, their concerns and also the use cases. But Don't stop there, right? Uh, We have integrations um, into more than 80 other software tools, SaaS tools out there, right? That's really hard for customers to figure out how to integrate it. So they need help. Mm. They need a human to talk to. They need a, a solution engineer to show them how to do it. Those kinds of things, right? And then if you think of what's being done with Miro, uh just think of for example pi planning or agile rituals those kinds of things uh you can get as much uh, as far as you can with things like the miroverse where customers contribute in a in a open shared platform what they do on miro but it doesn't stop there right mm. uh, our nordics team is actually just coming back from a um a three city round trip where they met more than 200 customers within three days. And the customers amongst each other shared what they do with Miro, what they do well, and where they also struggle. You know, at at some size in your customer journey, you you need others to help you a bit to get really productive in a not so easy to use. uh, I mean, I would say it's easy to use, but probably easy to set up a tool organizationally wide like Miro.
2: Yeah. So I have to ask you though, like, uh, is there a calculation? Is the like, how does the exercise look like? Okay, guys, we've been really successful with PLG. And like you, you said, like, you know, it sounds like we get stuck at some point in the customer journey because, you know, they need to interact with somebody. But when you looked at that, did you have a calculation saying like, okay, if we start building a go-to-market team, adding all these new headcounts, that's going to be beneficial because we believe it's going to make X amount more of revenue. like how does that work?
1: I would say in the early days probably that was less of a science than a, than an art. Um, if, if you want probably in the in the early days in the lockdown we just threw people at the demand. Mm. yeah but now obviously as, as also the, the the industry has has changed a bit and the investment climate has um, changed. obviously things like rule of 40. Are super relevant to us as a as a major guidance how we how we set up our business and also the the fact that um, you want as a SaaS company you want to avoid um, financing rounds at the moment yeah. right so we diligently look at that um, with what whatever we do and and obviously people is a is a major cost driver for a SaaS company. With whatever we do, we do it in a way that it's sustainable from a business perspective.
0: Mm, yeah. But what was the philosophy from the beginning? Was it you know 100% PLG, the product is going to sell itself, uh, it's going to be great?
1: And then at some point, you had to sort of rethink that. Yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. PLG first, uh, and it got the company to a decent size, right? Uh, probably to a size that um, many, many early stage SaaS companies would dream of. Yeah. But then if you think uh, going towards a uh, hundred million or way beyond that, there's no way we felt this is going to be done uh, without any human touch, right? This was kind of the point where we said we, we need to invest into, into field sales, into customer facing teams. Um, and the, the journey really went very, very well, yeah. right? Now, even, um, coming out of the special situation during the lockdowns where the, business was spurred by the special situations there we see healthy growth um i think if you if you think of where you want to apply your people what we actually did is and it was quite stunning when we when we started we went out to markets where we geographic markets where we were not yet and we sat down with customers and said hey what what do you think do we need to be in your country do we need to be in your geography to serve you well and uh for some of the markets like France, it was a clear yes, right? So that <laughs> of course <laughs> you, you, you want to have French speakers with French customers. You want to be in Paris. You want to know the, the formal and informal networks yeah. that happen, right? So that, that was a no brainer. That was a clear yes. And it wasn't really hard to, for me to convince, um, our leadership team that, that we invest in a local team there. But in contrast to that, we went to Scandinavia and asked the same question. And they said, well, actually, if you have maybe a few local speakers, they may be centralized. They may be not in our country, but maybe a few local speakers who treat us well, who stay in touch um, regularly, and uh, who, who come see us from time to time. That's totally fine. Mm. And it was the majority of the conversations we had. That's, that's the message we got from them. So you get... Different answers from, I would say, also different um, cultures. Right, and that was for me as as, as the leader of this Emia uh, go to market organization. That was the guiding principle: just um, ask a few questions to your customers and listen to what they have to say and then build your decisions around it. Yeah. If you look um, at
0: how you work now within your sales department, how much is it about, you know, looking at existing users at different companies and trying to tie it together, giving them a, a better unified sort of offering or is it finding new customers that this would be a customer that would be great for Miro. We want to describe for them from the beginning, how they can use it across the uh, enterprise. How much
1: do you put in uh, these buckets? Would you say Thomas, we have focus on both motions. So we have a a land team and we have an expand team. Yeah. I'm a true believer that that focus and segregation there uh, matters a lot because you know, if you, if you task an, an account manager, to to grow an existing book of business with X amount of ARR, it's always easier to just sell a bit more to an existing customer <laughs> than force yourself to find five new customers, right? So mm. I'm a true believer, you need to differentiate those two motions and that's what we do. While our land teams work hand-in-hand with a team of SDRs and work hand-in-hand also with parts of our self service business uh, and our marketing teams, um, our account management teams; these these, these are the expansion folks. They work much closer with customer success, uh, for example, to take the um, customers to the next uh, step in their customer adoption journey. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and which of these organizations are are the largest ones for you?
1: I would say um, we've perfectionized a bit. Um, how many people we need to land X amount of customers. And um, now we are pivoting more to expanding our installed base, but still we got loads of new customers every quarter coming in.
0: Yeah, because to me, it feels like, you know, land new customers is easier because you don't have to take account the, the history, the different users that might use the system in, in different ways. While in the expand one, you are more dependent on getting the data, maybe also manage many stakeholders, maybe, you know, go to s- some other um, you know, decision maker in order to sort of get the bigger deal.
1: You're right, and uh, I think also if you look at the archetype, the DNA of of individuals in in the land team versus the expand team, these are different salespeople.
2: So does does that mean also that then you as a company have you made any adjustments to customer segmentation and target audience as part of this transition now that you have? more of a you know call it a physical team trying to land this new business
1: yeah you know it's a bit of a two-edged sword right because if you add a lot of customers every quarter you need to be mindful that you don't overload the books of business of your account management teams right of your expansion teams so we have moved segmentation a bit upwards over time where we say we want to make sure the books of business particularly for our strategic account managers don't don't get too large because at the same time, we want them to go really deep and deeply understand the business strategy of, of their biggest customers. And as a part of it, what role Miro can play to support this business strategy? You know, that's classical enterprise sales, right? And you don't do this on a napkin. You don't do this with a 100 customers in in parallel. That's undoable because we, in, in this segment, we deal with the largest customers um, on the planet, right, they may have hundreds of 1000s of employees. So we immediately get into classical enterprise sales conversations, but also uh, enterprise sales problems.
2: Yeah, I think that's very interesting. So I, I have a question here that has been debated quite a bit in the SaaS community. So let's fictively imagine here that Deutsche Bank, massive potential customer here, they're interested in, in Miro. Can they start their journey wherever? Can they go the PLG route with, you know, one or two folks? And like how quickly do you throw the salespeople at that? Like, what is it that triggers mm-hmm.
1: the sales folks to jump on this? So to answer straight to your question, hell yeah. And mm-hmm. that's what happens every day. Yeah. We see we see customers with big firms signing up on Miro on a free plan and then themselves convert to a self-service paid plan swiping their credit cards right Mm -hmm. that's what happens every day at some point in time then either we see the customer reaching out to us because they struggle with a few steps they need to take that's what we call hand raises when a customer raises their hand and say hey miro can you please talk to me which is obviously a very very beautiful trigger so our our inbound sales development reps love hand raises because they say, "Hey, Miro, talk to me." Right. Right. Um, so you can imagine the conversion rate there is is quite high. Yeah. Uh, and and then obviously we look at our systems and also look for triggers from the self service business, which may be um, product qualified accounts. So we have certain thresholds where we say an account becomes a product qualified account, which is triggered mainly by the usage and by the growth, which is organic, which is still non-human touch, right? And once we get above those triggers, our outbound SDR teams um, reach out and engage with those clients and usually get very, very positive response because customers react in a way saying, hey, um, glad glad you're reaching out. Um, There are questions we wanted to ask you anyways. Good you're here, right? And then you get into a conversation and uh, you qualify whether there's... I mean, obviously, like every... SDR organizations—they banned the situation, right? And they—they they look at budget and authority and uh, need and timeline. And if all of those are great, then we have uh, we have a trigger that that goes over to our um, land teams, then, right? So that's that's how it works. Um, to answer your question, Daniel, when a customer starts, like Deutsche Bank starts using the product. And then goes on the adoption journey with Miro. Yeah.
0: It's easier to do an outreach when the prospect is already using the product, right? It's a pretty good situation to be in,
1: you know. And that's Thomas. Why I think this combination of PLG and SLG is is working so well. Mm. If I if I think back in the in the old days of selling software, I mean, wh- what did you do as a as a geo leader or a country leader? You were uh, you, you were looking at the largest companies of your geography and say, okay, this is my target account list and then you cold outreached I mean how hard was that and how frustrating was this also for customers? Mm. I mean calling calling somebody without even knowing who you're calling from, mirror who, right? <laughs> so now as as our SDRs reach out, they reach out to people who eventually have used the product, eventually had a, a good experience with the product, eventually like the product even, it's much easier and much more powerful. So I think probably as a as a learning also, or at least my my experience, um, it's a much lower calorie sales than if you do intentional target account list called outreach.
2: I like that lower calorie sales. Uh, I've never heard that before, but I'm, I'm going to steal that. So bear with me, Martin here. I have a couple of questions about the STRs. So the STRs they only do outbound to self-service customers or do they also do randomly? Like, let's imagine that Deutsche Bank has not registered for a free account. Will they still reach out to those as
1: well? We do this, but we we rarely do this without any trigger. Okay. right. So we want to see, for example, a trigger that has been generated by marketing, right? So if, let's say, if our marketing team has earned the interest of a person in Deutsche Bank. That may be through downloading an asset. That may be through reacting on something we, we do on, on social platforms like, like LinkedIn, right? Gotcha. Um, so that would be a trigger next to product trigger yeah. that our outbound SDRs go after. We, yeah, we yeah. rarely say, Hey, this is Deutsche Bank. Nobody knows about Miro. Call the CEO and good luck. Yeah,
2: I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think it's a brilliant way to use the STRs to focus on you know the ones that have like registered for the for the system and are ready to go. Another question that I have, which also has been debated a lot in some of our forums, is that when you have product uh, qualified leads, so you have these customers, there is some trigger that you know blinks in the CRM that tells uh, Linda, Linda, you got to reach out to Deutsche Bank. My question to you is that. What type of SDR do you need at this point? Because there are certain types of SDRs that are really good at sending the emails, making the calls, and so on. Do you have to have a different type of skill set? Do they have to be more of a consultatives and product experts? Because I'm already in the system. I might have some questions and want to discuss more about the system, like... Is that something that affected when you built your SDR team?
1: Oh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you look for a few, I would say, soft skills. I mean, our SDRs, they are self-starters, right? They are hungry. They're they're mostly early in career people. Mm -hmm. But they really um, are willing to run the drumbeat and and do many, many calls in a certain period of time. Um, But then, if you think backwards from the person who is being approached, by the SDR, you want to have a, a gravitas in knowledge about the subject matter, right? Because you want to make sure this call is getting as successful for the person who we call at Deutsche Bank and not only for for the SDR qualifying the hell out of band, right? Exactly. So definitely you want to create value for your customer and you only do that if you know a lot about the product and the use cases. So our SDR teams are deeply trained on the value proposition and uh, on potential questions that we hear from our customers.
2: Exactly, because one discussion that has been circulating uh, that we have also been part of is, is it maybe a good idea to put my customer success people or that type of profile to be the first ones that reach out? I mean, you can call these groups, whatever, but mm-hmm. to have that type of a skill set more stronger on the product, because then they can be these helping consultants more than anything else.
1: Yeah, I grew out Keep or stay with the SDRs and enable them as much that they create a wonderful customer experience. I, when I think of our customer success teams, they are more the ones that um, work closely with customers to take them on the customer journey once they have landed the product. Yeah, um, that's a from my perspective also different type of personnel personality of people, the the SDRs, and we've intentionally built. A centralized sdr team as as probably most of the um sas companies have mm. but we we see them hungry heavy hitters outbound very communicative uh, and maybe one thing i wanted to mention is we intentionally from the get-go build career progression opportunities from inbound sdrs to outbound sdrs then going to the commercial team mm-hmm doing the entire sales cycle for the very first time in their career. So we have a lot of um, examples from our organization of individuals who have traveled through three or four steps uh, of roles of different roles within Miro uh, and have developed their career. So um, that's working really well with us.
0: That's great.
2: Are you building a SaaS business? Achieving ISO 27001 or SOC 2 compliance can help you win bigger deals, enter new markets, and deepen trust with your customers. But it can also cost you real time and money. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work needed to get and stay compliant. Get audit ready in weeks instead of months and save up to 85% of associated cost. Over 6,000 fast-growing companies use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. Sassiest listeners get 20% off Vanta at Vanta.com slash sassiest. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash sassiest.
0: What KPIs are you looking at in your organization when it comes to these, you know, processes with product-led and sales-led and so on?
1: Well, obviously, there are a few trailing indicators like new logos won in a certain period of time or net new ARR Mm -hmm. uh, or... Um, GRR, for example, those are the, I would say, the key trailing metrics. And then you have, if you break it down, you have for each of them leading indicators, right? Uh, The leading indicators would be, um, if you look at the sales stages, like uh, stage one, stage two generated, then um, pipeline progression, um, then you have conversion rates, and then you have uh, obviously time to close, like S2 to close one. Those those kinds of things, right? So, I mean, obviously we have the cockpits all in front of us and look at it every day and and manage them really tightly. So, but I would say that's nothing that differentiates Miro to to any other any other company. I think that's pretty standard.
0: Yeah. Is it any specific KPI that is a little bit extra exciting for you to to have an eye on?
1: I would I would say that's not rocket science. <laughs> okay. That's the, that's the the usual. SaaS mechanics that probably everybody knows about. So, uh,
2: you touched upon it a little bit, and then I, I have a question maybe that will be related to a uh, KPI. High level, what can you tell us? Like, what are the elements that will define something as a product qualified lead? Is it usage? Is it login times? Is it amount of users? What is that?
1: I would say it's a combination between number of users. But also frequency of usage, right? You can have, you can have 30 users who have used the product half a year ago. I would say that's not a good product qualified lead, right? Mm. But if you have 15 users who have weekly usage or maybe three or four times a month usage, I would say you're getting close to a, a good um, product qualified lead there.
0: Yeah. And and is this something that you fine tune all the time, or have you sort of said, this is it and you have done that for a few years because that works? No, no, right? no. no,
1: no, no, no. We we adjust this uh, frequently. Obviously, as the market changes, we we stay on our toes and, and learn, try to learn, and also sometimes experiment. Yeah, and we say, hey, we have a an hypothesis, and say we should change the criteria for our PQA like this. Then we just say, okay, let's do it in X market, or let's do it in in half of the one half of one of the larger markets, right? And do A/B testing and see what happens.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm I'm guessing again here, but you probably make exceptions to this rule as well if it's a big account. So even if Deutsche Bank has logged in, but there's no usage the first week or two, are are you not going to call them, or, or are you going to reach out?
1: Uh, yeah, you know, probably not because. Okay. We we need we need to think about a sales calories again. Yeah, <laughs> and then secondly, what what kind of experience do you create with a with a person being called if you're not relevant? I think relevance is is a key currency in in our economy today. Yeah,
0: yeah, I like that.
1: So let's say we have um,
0: a listener here. They they have been you know they have had a product in the market. They have been doing a a pure PLG exercise for a few years. Uh, they are now in the situation that they think they, they're they going to start having this sales motion. What are your tips for them, if you would highlight three things or something that they would think about?
1: Well, first, I would say that decision needs to be anchored at the top. Yeah. Um I think that's a CEO or leadership team decision because you cannot do it half-assed, right? You You need to hang in for a while because you won't see immediate results. I think it, it will take you probably six months to see increased pipeline and then takes a bit longer to, to have larger deals, right? Mm. And then the second one would be you got to hire the right people. Mm. right? You got to hire people who have done enterprise sales and have built enterprise sales teams. But then at the same time, I would say don't don't hire the very traditional ones because they will struggle to combine PLG with SLG. So you want to hire somebody who has a deep understanding um, how to combine PLG and SLG in a way that it works. And then thirdly, I, I would say, be willing to, to experiment and be willing to learn. Uh, if I look at our motion today, it looks different than two years ago, right? Mm. So you've got to have this Learning culture and uh, the spirit of experimentation.
2: So, what has been the most difficult phase in this transition? You must have like hit some road bumps here.
1: I think what's really hard. I mean, if I look at our extended organization and go to market, we have uh, between 100 and 200 people in EMEA only. Yeah. And as we change, as we pivot, as we adapt to the changed market requirements, we constantly ask our people to do things differently than last quarter or two quarters ago. And that's probably the hardest part that you keep the spirit of people being open for new things, experimentation, because change is hard. Yeah. So you got to be very versed in regards to change management. Your leadership team needs to explain changes really well and also make sure that people are taken on board in, in those changes. I would say change management is probably the, the hardest part for, for existing teams. Yeah,
2: I can imagine. And, and that's that's a podcast episode on its own. <laughs> 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 Martin, this, this was really insightful and thank you so much for, for sharing your learning so far on this and we will be following and collaborating. And so there will be much more content coming out of the Miro team here in the Sassiest community. So tell us about the future of miro if we sit down here in 12 months time 18 months time what what new will you tell us
1: so we're going to continue to earn the right to have more and more customers we'll add new customers to our customer base and we are not going to stop Um, with our existing customers we will be way more relevant as we try to deeply understand what their business problems are so we are going To continue to invest more face time with our existing large customers. And then we listen carefully to what customers say in, um, customer advisory boards, for example, where they say, Hey, we need, we need you to be even more enterprise ready, right? We need you to help us better understand what's happening on Miro boards. If you as a large customer have tens of thousands of those, right? So we'll, we'll have. Things that customers ask for in the product in the future that we don't have today and that we don't sell today. Yeah. So we, you can expect us to, from a product perspective, continue to uh, invent on customers' behalf. All right. Okay. And that is something our field teams are going to um, bring to the market then.
2: So, do you need anything? To support that exercise, you obviously have lots of listeners here today. If you would make a shout out, is there a particular skill set, talent, or anything else you guys need help with?
1: Well, I mean, if you are if you are a great go to market person globally or across EMEA, and you feel Mir is a is an is an interesting company for you, definitely um, come to our career side. We are expanding our team, um, maybe not at the velocity that we did two years ago, but we are adding key people here and there. Um, Secondly, I'm definitely keen to learn from others as a lifelong learner, right? So if some of your listeners say, hey, hold on, it's really weird how you do it. I think I have a better way to do it. Or I want to share how we do it here and get into a conversation or a debate. Totally open to that, right? So um, I understand this is a network. This is a platform. And I think a platform lives of communication amongst the users so definitely. definitely happy to 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 have people reach out to me you find me on linkedin uh, i'm martin at miro.com so you you find me cool
0: and uh, you have another chance here also to learn uh, things because uh, if you have a suggestion of a topic or a, a guest in a future podcast episode this is your chance to make your voice heard so i would say i'd be curious
1: on People like me experienced about um, how you industrialize your go-to-market in a better way. Okay. I'm I'm curious to find out if somebody has figured out AI in the whole sales process. Um, I'm curious to find out where the addition of AI um, leads us. I'm, I'm pretty sure there will be a massive impact. On the way how we, how we go to market. So if anybody has put their toe into the water. I'd be definitely keen to, to learn from them.
0: Great topics. Super. So do we, we, we share your curiosity in those fields. And Martin, it's been great having you as a guest here on the show. Looking forward to um, have much more contact with you and your team at Miro in, uh, yeah, in upcoming years here. So uh, thank you so much and see you around. Thomas, Daniel, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care now. Ciao. Bye-bye. So Daniel, what's your takeaways from this episode?
2: I'm gonna go with a different one this time around. Uh, I loved when Martin said uh, low calorie sales. I, I feel a little bit like uh, almost pissed that I didn't know of that before. And I mean, if you didn't pay attention to the episode, what he meant with low calorie sales here, it's a little bit of a less of an effort to win over somebody and get somebody to sign and, and you know start paying you a bunch of money if they've already qualified themselves, meaning they came to you, they tried the product, they played with the product a little bit. So I love that fact and understanding that PLG is not just living on its own. It still can benefit from a sales motion. It just makes the sales process maybe slightly easier or slightly different. There's a little bit more, different tactics that needs to be used, but I like the word low calorie sales. And then there's another thing I wanted to highlight here. If there's still a debate if PLG can coexist with sales, I think we we killed that doubt here. Like, clearly, it can exist. In many cases, it should exist. It must exist. And, you know, it works for Miro, which was and is by many considered maybe one of the finest PLG companies. And now they do a lot of enterprise sales, adding a sales motion to that. So PLG and sales... For the win,
0: but I guess it must be you know products that are pure PLG as well, where you don't need a sales motion. Not not always must there be an enterprise option, or must it?
2: No, no, I don't think so. Some some, some products are, are just meant to be used, you know, uh, by one individual or some individuals in a team. But I think as soon as you have PLG products where there's a network effect, where there's a, a grand benefit, if more people in the company use the same platform and you can share resources and in that platform yeah. then I think in my opinion at least the sales motion becomes very relevant
0: yeah definitely so uh, well you basically took my takeaway as well <laughs> <laughs> not as usual but but that happens that, that's you know the, uh, the downside of letting you say first all the time but uh, well I also think it's Good. What he said that if you're gonna start this, you need a mandate from from the very top. This should be a, a CEO a management decision. If if you're gonna start doing this, it's nothing that you just you know decide in the sales team or so. Now we're gonna work with this, yeah. and you also need to to make sure that and know that this is nothing that maybe will give result over overnight. It it's a process, and you need to to find you know the right triggers and the best way of doing this and yeah have um yeah be aware of that definitely trust the
2: process all right speaking about the process you know the drill from now on here if you enjoyed this episode uh, g- give us a five-star rating hit that like button share this with your friends and once again if you have other great guests like martin that you want us to interview here in the, in the podcast do let us know. We're all ears and we're ready to crank out a bunch of new episodes for
0: you guys. Absolutely. And we hope that we will meet you here during the year. We will do a tour uh, around in, in the Nordics and the Benelux uh, here quite soon. We're going to go out with the dates and the locations here in a little while. And then, of course, we have Sassy in Malmo coming up in mid-April. We have a great lineup of speakers. I would say it's the best ever so far. And uh, we have a lot of plans that will make it an even sassier uh, b2b SaaS experience for you this year so hope to see you there and uh, see you soon take care